As we begin this morning, I would like for you to put yourselves in the place of one of our great fighting soldiers, who is even this very day deployed, perhaps in Afghanistan or Iraq or some other place such as that, men who have trained for months to fight the enemy, and men who know how to do their job because of this training. They were taught to march and they know how to do it. They were taught to advance upon a town or upon a city, to evade the enemy, to do these things that would enable them to do their job as soldiers. They have been trained to unconditionally listen to the commands of their leaders and do their jobs because it is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of protecting their squad, protecting their own life. So when they are told to fire or when they are told to go against the enemy, they do not hesitate and they do as they are told. So, Mr. Trained Soldier, what would it be like if when you are in a combat situation, Lieutenant Jones says to you, fire, advance, attack. And at the same time, Lieutenant Smith says to you, retreat, run, get away. What would you do? You would have confusion and chaos. Men would be shooting and men would be retreating. And what success rate would an army like that have? The point is that even if they are well trained, if they are poorly led, the training will be of no value. There can be only one commander. Only one leader in a combat situation. Now this was part of what we looked at and saw from the Scriptures, part of the understanding of the Scriptures that we saw in Ephesians chapter 5 last week. Believe it or not, this is what God says to wives. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue in the study that we began last week uh, on the occasion of Father's Day, beginning a study that will take us through Ephesians 5.22 and then into Ephesians chapter 6 as we study what it means for fathers to lead, to love, and to live the gospel before their families. And the first thing that we saw here in this passage of Scripture, which teaches us from God what the family structure is to be like, what God has intended, is that fathers are to lead. But in order for that to work, he begins by addressing wives in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. What? What did he just say? 
We made the point last week that in our day it is politically incorrect to say that wives are to be submissive or wives are to be subject. And we began actually by saying that in most pulpits and in many even churches today, it would be shocking to be told that women and wives are to be subject to their husbands or submissive to their husbands. Yet, this is what God's Word says. And so we considered the explanation of this verse, the language that is contained. We began by seeing the structure of the language, why it is that the words be subject to your own husbands, be subject not being in the original Greek, yet in the English because of the context and because of the way that it is used and the meaning used by the Apostle Paul. We also saw the meaning of the word be subject. The word hupotasso in the uh, Greek with the root having that meaning of a Greek military being led by one man and following the orders of that man. That's the root of this word, be subject. And it means to subject one's self-control to the control or of another. In other words, to obey. We next went on to see the object of this subjection. Wives, be subject to your own husband. Her own man it is in the Greek. And that is, it sets him apart from all others. Women are not to be subject to all men everywhere. It's not that women are somehow second class citizens and everywhere they go, every man rules over them, can tell them what to do, and they're obliged to obey because of this passage. It is not that at all. It has to do with that close and personal relationship of a wife to a husband. That is who she is subject to. Her own man. Her own husband. We also saw the circumstance. It is not if he's perfect. It is not if he is the best leader and a great leader. It's your husband. And you may not think he's the best guy or the best leader, but even as we read in that text in 1 Peter, the language is the same. Wives, be submissive to your husband even if he's an unbeliever. And who knows, God says, that he would see your chaste and godly behavior and be one to the Lord. And I know that we have some even in that situation. And this is great comfort from God's Word. To say that even if you speak not a word as you live your godly life before your husband, God may use that. Be subject to Him. And then we ended last week by seeing at the end of this verse where he says the manner in which that this is to happen. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
Now, this is not at all suggesting that the husband replaces the Lord. It is not at all saying that the wife somehow sets the husband up on such a pedestal on equality with God. And some wives do that. Their husbands are their gods. That is not what the text is saying. It speaks of the way, the manner in which you are subject to the Lord. And what is the manner in which every Christian is subject to the Lord? And it's not begrudgingly, hesitantly, opposed to it, not wanting to be involved in it. Wives are subject to the Lord. All Christians are subject to the Lord willingly. He is the object of their love and they willingly submit themselves to following Him. And now this morning we're going to pick up from here to see one other aspect of the whole matter of wives being subject and the explanation of it as we see the extent. We saw the structure, the meaning, the object, the circumstance, the manner, and now we're going to look at the extent. And for this, we look at verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In all things. Now this is saying that the obedience or the subjection of the wife to her husband is complete. That's really what the language is saying. It is complete. It's not that the husband has his areas and the wife has her areas and her areas are separate from the husband's and the husband doesn't have anything to do with the wife's areas. The wife's areas are his area, her areas and the husband's areas are his areas and those areas don't go near each other. The husband is involved in all areas and the wife is to be subject to the husband in all things, in everything. Women, the text reads, to the men in all. That's basically all the Greek says. Women, to the men in all. In household, in money, in material matters, women, be subject to your husband particularly in spiritual matters, the wife is to be subject to the husband. I'm trying to avoid saying something here because I'm going to get to it in a second. I guess I'm looking at this kind of, kind of tough right now on you ladies. But you'll see where this goes in a second. And I'm trying to avoid saying it. In spiritual matters, the wife is subject to the husband. In household matters, in material matters, the wife is to be subject to the husband. I know that this is very unpopular in our day. I know it is. We have several families that are not here today with lots of little kids. And I know how hard it is to deal with some of these things from the scriptures and to apply them in the homes. But as unpopular as it may be, this is what the text is saying. But now I'm going to get to the good part for you ladies. Because this is not some harsh command to women. That is the wrong way to look at this. 
And that's the problem that the world so often has, even with the Scriptures and the Word of God and with Christianity. They look at it from a wrong view, from a wrong perspective. It is a wrong view to consider this as a harsh command. If anything, it is a hard command, not to women, but to the husband. Because what is the implication What is the implication of such uh, an admonition to the wife? It's that the husband is the one who has to lead in every area. So you wives don't have to be the ones who are worried whether you make it at the end of the month with the money. The wife doesn't have to be the one to worry about what comes into the house. The wife doesn't have to be the one to worry about the spiritual leadership to the family, to the children. The husband does. The wife is submissive to the husband. So the husband is the one who leads. Delegation may be applicable in some areas. The wife may be better at taking care of the books. But the wife isn't responsible for the money or bringing it into the family. The wife may be better at some areas and should do some things. Delegation may be appropriate. But the the buck stops here. The buck stops with the husband. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who has to answer to God. You answer to your husband, but your husband answers to God. And as much as the women are to obey in all things, dads are to lead in all things. Now, I want to make sure that we understand a couple of things about this, though. And for that, I ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Acts, chapter 4. Look down at verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. They had just healed a man. And And the scribes and the Pharisees, as always, were on their case about it. Verse 15. But when they had ordered them to go out, to go aside, out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You get the picture? They've done this great miracle, this mighty miracle. People were following after them. They were teaching them about Jesus and what Jesus had done and who Jesus was. And the council, in order to try to stop this, says, don't teach anymore about Jesus. Don't tell anyone anymore about Jesus. But what do they do? Peter and John answered and said to them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Do you hear what they said? Is it right to listen to you or is it right to listen to God? Now, if you look over to chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse 26 and following, we see a similar statement. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. And they brought them back, and they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We give you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than man. Now here's the application to what we were looking at in Ephesians chapter 5. There are times, situations, and occasions when it would be absolutely wrong for the wife to follow her husband or to be subject to her husband, to obey her husband. There are some areas and some situations where it would be wrong because she would be following man rather than God. You see, this does not extend to things that are, let's say, not lawful. We got a lot of scoundrel guys that would say, look, uh, uh, I'm already on the 10 most wanted list in, uh, let's say, Brooksville. You go rob the bank. See, that way I won't get caught. You know, we were just uh, uh, told that uh, there's a situation like that in some places where it is extremely dangerous for people to live. And uh, when men go out of the village and down to the river to get water for the home, the men are killed. So rather than the men being killed, they send their wives because they were only raped. And at least they live and they can come back with the water. Don't be subject to your husband in things that are unlawful. That would risk your life. It doesn't include things that are ungodly. There's a lot of cults around. Where the leader of the cult has to have relations with every woman in the church. And the husbands have to willingly submit to that if they want to be a part of the cult. That's garbage. Nonsense. Ungodly. Wives, don't be submissive to your husbands if it's unlawful or ungodly stuff. It also does not embrace things that are unspiritual. Where a husband would uh, tell his wife to do stuff that would keep the wife from, from godliness, holiness, worshiping God. There is a lot of that that goes on. And it does not mean that a wife is to be a slave 
doing the whims and the foolish things that the husband desires. That is not what this is. Husbands are to have such responsibility and to love and to care and to nurture for their wives that they would never, ever ask any of these things for the wife. And for a wife to be subjective to any of these things from an ungodly man is not what Ephesians 5.24 is saying when it says be subject to your husbands in all things. What it is saying is that in legitimate areas the husband is to lead in all things. In all legitimate areas the husband is to lead and the wife is to be subject to her husband. Matthew Henry put it this way, wives are to be subject to husbands in everything to which their authority justly extends itself, in everything lawful and consistent with duty to God. So if we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, this is the thrust. This is the explanation of these verses. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord in all areas. Things that are lawful, things that are godly, things that are right. And again, when he is fulfilling his responsibility properly, there will never be any question to these other things that would not be proper. I was going to just simply go on to deal with other matters after this and seeing wives be submissive and we're going to hit on the husband's part. But it occurred to me that in the day in which we live, there are many people that would want to understand the foundation of such, such an admonition by the Apostle Paul. And so I thought that it would be wise for us to understand the foundation. Because today people say things like, well, this was only cultural. This was only the cultural thing to do. Or such things that you hear this a lot in a lot of churches, that, well, that's just Paul's hatred of women. Most women preachers point to that. That's just what Paul said. He didn't like women. He didn't want women to teach in the church. And he didn't like women. It was a cultural thing too. That's what we hear a lot of today. The reality is, what Paul is teaching in these verses goes back even prior to Jewish law. It is a creation principle. A creation ordinance. So turn with me in your Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Here's where Paul derives his teaching in Ephesians 5. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, that is a commentary on what took place in Genesis 1. 
when God said we're going to make man, create man in our image. And he created man in his image. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But Genesis 2 is a commentary of what took place in Genesis chapter 1. We read down in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is where Paul derives his teaching in Ephesians 5 from God's creation and the establishment of the original family. God does nothing by accident. And the scripture does not lie and does not equivocate. Man was created first. Follow the progression. Man was created first. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make Man in our image. That, of course, includes the generic man and women. However, it is masculine. Let us make man in our image. Also understand this. No matter how much the liberals may change it or attempt to change it or try to mask it, by the changing of their Bibles and putting out these liberal Bibles that say that man, that God was not masculine, always in the scriptures, God is masculine. Always in the Hebrew, in the Greek, there is no question God is masculine. God then says, I'm making man in my image, masculine. And man was created first. Man was created first. Follow the progression then. It's not good for the man to be alone, verse 18. I will make him a helper. Suitable for him. And who is that? Woman. And then God created woman. Man was first. The woman was created to help man. Not vice versa. Woman was not first. And man was created to help her. That's not creation. And it's not even same time. Total equality. And they're both here to help each other. Man was created, woman was created to help or to be a helper to the man. Now look forward a page to the fall. 
Here comes the fall. Genesis chapter 3. The woman said to the serpent, this is verse 2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may, may, may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a light to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband and he ate. Now, don't misunderstand me. They both sinned. They both willfully and wantonly rebelled against God. But what was the order? The woman was beguiled and she ate first. The woman was deceived and she ate first. Now we get down into the consequences. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. She, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now listen to this. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, there are a number of ways that men in the past have looked at this text and tried to come to grips with what God is saying here in this text. But the best understanding and the accurate understanding to the text and the language is that following the fall, God says unequivocally that the man shall rule over the woman. And it is perhaps within the context of the woman's part in the fall, her sin, and that she did not ask her husband's opinion. Serpent comes along, tempts the woman. She doesn't go to Adam and say, Adam, what do you think would be the right thing to do here? Adam, what should I do? No, she thinks in herself, in her own mind, I am capable. I am capable of determining what is the right thing to do without my husband and more importantly, without God. Because God told me not to eat. Serpent's telling me to eat. I can make the right decision. And so without asking her husband or asking her God or considering the command of her God, she takes and she eats. And so it was her usurping of the man's authority. And God is saying that no matter how hard you try through all of history, he shall rule. And we see this even in our day particularly in recent decades, how women, and this is something that we're going to actually begin to address probably next week, but women have been involved in this thing called women's lib. And do you know what the main principle of women's lib has always been? Equality with man. We are equally good 
we can do equally as well. We can have the same equal responsibilities. We want to be out there fighting in combat. We want to be fl flying jet airliners. We can do equally as well as, me as men. Women wanted equality. And I suggest to you that we'll see some of the consequences of this failed attempt even in our day. Women today still suffer from this women's lib movement. And I want you to understand that in the eyes of God, in so many ways, women are equal. But in the eyes of God and in the eyes of godly men, women are better. So this women's lib thing didn't help them one bit. But that's what it's all been about. And yet God says, no matter how hard you try, I tell you that the men are to rule. And that's what he says to the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband. You may want to rule, but he shall rule over you. Now, another point from this is that some suggest that it signifies that there was a change regarding the rule following the fall. That perhaps before the fall, there was more equality. That perhaps before the fall, at the very least, the authority of man and the rule of man was more pleasant, more gentle, kinder. And now following the fall, it will be more strict. Now, I don't know uh, that that's seen really in the language or in the text. But that's some that some suggest. That perhaps following the fall, God had to stress that man rules more than he did prior to the fall. Whichever way you look at it, from creation, from creation and from the fall, long before the law, God says that men are to rule and that wives are to be subject to their husbands. Now, some would say, okay, uh, yeah, you know, you're kind of stretching it there, preacher. That's kind of stretching what God's Word says. I, you know, I, I think you're kind of reading into it a little bit. Am I? Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me give you a very careful reminder that even though many Bibles are, I, in my opinion, wrongly, they wrongly have the words of Jesus in red. As if Jesus' words are more true than Isaiah's words. That what Jesus says is really Scripture. And the rest is not. I want you to understand and understand well that all of the Bible is the Bible. It is all God's inspired and infallible Word. Every word is the very Word of God. Paul's epistles are the Word of God. Paul's theology is God's theology. Paul's teaching is God's teaching. And here's what Paul says. Verse 8. Therefore, 
I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let women quietly receive instruction with in, with entire submissiveness. Hupatasso. Wives, be submissive to your husband. With complete and entire submissiveness. Tell me that isn't the same language. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why, Paul? Why? For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. The first reason that he gives was the order of creation. Now, I want to go back. Whether, whether dealing with the order in the church as in this context or the order in the home which we saw in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul compares what takes place in the home to the church. Remember what we read in Ephesians 5 where Paul clearly says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as Christ is the head of the church. Wives, and the church is subject to Him. You wives be subject to your husbands. He even shows the church order there in Ephesians 5, comparing it to the household order. So here, He has the order in the church that wives are to be reverent and to receive instruction in submissiveness. But still, the same foundation is that Adam was created first and then Eve. That's the reason he has it in Ephesians 5. That's the reason he uses it here in 1 Timothy 2. Number one, the order of creation. Adam was created first, then Eve. That's exactly what he says. The second reason, and I'm not going to go in the order that he writes it. I'm going to go in the order that we saw it in Genesis. Verse 15. But the women shall be preserved through the bearing of children. And they will continue in their faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. They were created for man. Helpers. It was the reason for her creation. It was the order of creation and it was the reason for her creation. She was created as a helper. She was created as one who would propagate and bring forth children for the family. That family, the reason they leave and they cleave was to be together and to bring forth children. And then the third reason is, back in 14, it was the consequence of the fall. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgressions. You think I was exaggerating there in Genesis? Or is this not exactly what Paul says? The reason that wives are submissive is has its foundation in creation. God's 
plan in creation establishes God's plan in the home. And God's plan in creation and God's order in creation that man was created first, woman was created as helper, and woman was the one who was deceived and fell. Women are to follow and to be subject to their husbands. Please don't mistake the fact that I have a loud, booming voice and sound mean sometimes to think that this is a bad thing. As we will see in subsequent weeks, and as I've already mentioned today, it is not a bad, bad, harsh thing. Do you really think that God would do that? Do you really think that God in His plan would be to suppress women? To give commands that would be bad for women? That is not it. The reason I get so agitated and so uh, powerful in regards to this is because it is so abused in our day on both sides. We've got men who abuse it and wrongly so. And we've got a world that abuses it and says it just ain't so. All I'm telling you is this is God's word. Wives, be subject to your husbands. This is the meaning. This is the explanation of it. And this is the foundation of it. And I want to give just a little application of it. Just a little application of it. How does this work out? People today denounce this. People today don't want to hear this. People denounce Christianity and they don't want to hear that either. But they denounce this. And they say that it is demeaning to women. The reality is that this is liberating to women. And God and His Word and Christianity and the propagation of Christianity has been more liberating to women than anything else in the history of the world. Women are never second-class citizens in the Bible. You think that's so in the Muslim world? I don't see any of you wearing burqas. Christianity and the proper understanding and application of God's Word is not bad for women. It's good for women. It's liberating for women. I'll tell you what's proven to be bad and demeaning to women. That's that women's lib thing we talked about before. Their own version uh, and, and, and the world's version of kicking God out. And we can do it not God's way. We'll be liberated from God. We'll do it ourselves. And what do you wind up with? You wind up with pornography, you wind up with women being used. You wind up with women sitting at home without any children, lonely, no families, doing nothing but going to work every day to provide a living for themselves because they wanted to prove they were as good as a man. Whereas in Christianity... 
when lived in accordance to God's word, you find a family unit that is peace and comfort in a world gone mad. Where a wife can trust her husband and a husband can trust her wife, his wife. And where a family can be together under the authority of God's word with a man who leads properly and a woman who lives peaceably. The first point of application, I would say that this is a very liberating thing for women as, as we will see in weeks to come, they are treated with respect and love by their husbands. And as they help their husbands, as they are the help meet for their husbands, as they are subject to their husbands, they find peace and love in the family. Second point of application, guys and ladies, It really makes a lot of difference. And it makes who you marry a very important consideration. It makes who you plan to marry a very important consideration. Will this woman be subject to me? Will this man lead me? Just remember, ladies, particularly, when you say, I do, this is what you mean. I submit to this man. And even though they have taken the words obey out of most marriage vows, it has not been taken out of the Bible. And so in the marriage vows, when it used to say to love, honor, and obey, whether it says it or not in your vow, God's word says it. And so it makes who you marry a very important consideration. And thirdly, just quickly, mothers, teach your daughters this truth. When you live it this way in the home, it will make a big impression on your children as they'll understand the proper role as they grow up. Don't teach them rebellion. Don't teach them women's lib. Teach them the Bible and what it means to live God's way. Well, next week, Lord willing, We'll begin to deal with this verse, uh, the next verses in Ephesians 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And then we'll go on to see husbands love your wife, just as Christ loved the church. All of these things to come. But before we close today, I ask you to examine your hearts, particularly you ladies. And see indeed whether or not this is the way you live in the house and what this is what you are teaching your children. Let's pray.